This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If you want to go on a journey, if you're skeptical, don't worry. Not here to preach, gonna keep it clean and talk miracles. Where faith meets laws of nature, get in touch with your creator, with a bacon loving Jew. She even speaks Hebrew. What's that got to do with it? What's that got to do with it? There's no separation when we're talking transformation. What's that got to do with it? All right. Hello, hello. We are back for What's God Got to Do With It? And I'm here with the amazing Ridley Barron. We're here in his office at his church, down the road from church. And um, we have a beautiful testimony of his that we're going to dive into. But, you know, one of the reasons I I tracked him down and wanted to get him on the podcast is, first of all, he, he is a picture of God doing a work in our hearts and a testament to what can happen when you come back to faith, even after tragedy, even after unexplicable grief. Um, and he'll share his testimony as well. But also I think there is, sometimes there can be a separation or a divide when we think about a pastor's life and we think like, oh, you know, they don't know what it's like, or if only they knew. And it's like, no, when you hear your story, you'll know that you, you've been in it. You've been in the thick of it. You know what it's like to suffer and struggle and have that redeemed. So first of all, thank you so much for being here and spending time with us. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm excited about this. For anybody listening who who's never known you, met you, heard your story, just share a little bit about who you are, what's made you who you are, and, and a bit about the stories that have you know really tested you and, and brought you to a whole new version of yourself. Uh, grew up in great Christian home all my life, uh, surrounded by godly people. My grandfather was a free will Baptist minister, so from, literally from the day I was conceived, I was exposed to the Bible and the gospel, which probably, looking back, might have made it too neat and too clean for me. So I got saved at age eight, but I didn't even really fully comprehend all that that meant for me. I just knew it was a step I needed to take. And I do believe that was the time I acknowledged Jesus as my Savior and Lord, but again, didn't understand the the depth of where I had come from to where I was now in Christ Jesus. So that was incredible for me. I was very blessed. I grew up in a, in a very I would say even charmed life. I mean, everything I touched as a kid growing up seemed to work. I I was valedictorian in my high school class. I played varsity ball for football and baseball for three years in a row. Dated the cutest girl in school in my imagination. Um, But, you know, all those things worked great. I didn't even know a personal death until I was in college when my grandfather died. And that was the first place I was ever exposed to it. So all through that, everything's good, everything's smooth, but again, probably just a little bit nice and neat. And if there's anything I've discovered is that Christianity is not a nice and neat faith. 
it takes us through really dark seasons. So fast forward, I've been in ministry 38 years since uh, I was very young. I did student ministry for 15 years and then was called by God to move into the area of church planting. So my wife and two kids, we were in Tennessee at the time, moved to Georgia, southeast Georgia. We planted a church and served for four years. And just, again, a great experience, good church, very strong group of people around us who loved us very well. And we took a trip to the beach, Hilton Head, South Carolina. It was on the spring break trip. And uh, we were coming back home at the end of the trip on Good Friday, the Friday before Easter Sunday. Uh, My wife was driving the last 45 minutes of the trip that day. I was actually just looking over my sermon, getting ready for Easter Sunday. And the last words I heard my wife say that Friday afternoon were, oh, my word. We were hit by three guys in a Ford Explorer who ran a stop sign going 55 miles an hour. It hit the front left corner of our van, spun our van through through the intersection. Uh, We tumbled down the side of a, a rural highway probably about 100 yards before it came to a stop. I was awakened that Friday afternoon by the sound of my oldest son sitting in the middle of the seat behind me who was screaming at the top of his lungs, Daddy, what's happening? And I, of course, being not unconscious, was trying to clear my head, trying to figure out what was going on, didn't even know what he was referring to. And I, I looked to my wife, turned to look at my wife, and I watched that day as she let out this really deep sigh. I thought at the moment it was just because she was in pain from the accident, but EMTs would later tell me that I had actually watched that afternoon as my wife took her last breath. And so now what was once a nice and neat faith has been completely rocked to the very core of who I was. I remember that Friday afternoon looking through the broken windshield of the window waiting for emergency personnel to arrive. At one moment, I'm having a conversation with my kids in the backseat. By the way, at this point, we had three kids uh, because we had another after we moved there. But I'm having this conversation with my kids going, you know, mommy's going to be okay. They're going to come take care of us. I'm trying to reassure them. And then turning around and having these conversations with God going, God, where are you right now? I need you. It was hard. Uh, I was screaming at God. I was, I was I was saying things like, okay, do not let my wife die. I need her. I can't do this without her. I was negotiating with him. Um, I said, God, you know, if anything's going to happen here, take me because my kids need their mom. And again, the question, God, where are you right now? I need you. None of those prayers were answered. So again, what was a once nice and neat faith suddenly just kind of fell apart right there in front of my eyes. My son, my youngest son, uh, who was a 17-month-old toddler at the time, was in a car seat. And as the vehicle was spinning down the side of the road, the seatbelt literally snapped. And so his car seat was thrown out of the van as it rolled down the road. Emergency personnel would later find him about 50 feet away from where the van stopped, and he was lying in the woods, still strapped into his car seat, but he was unconscious. They took him from the scene of the accident to our local hospital, which was a rural southeast Georgia hospital, flew him from there to Savannah, Georgia, to a much larger hospital to get him into better care. He was there for four days under the care of the PQ unit uh, of this hospital, Uh, I had family members who went over and stayed with him, but because of my injuries, they wouldn't let me travel the first few days. And we got reports, you know, all throughout those four days. You know, here's what the nurses nurses are saying. Here's what the latest tests are showing us, those kinds of things. I finally got to go see him for myself on Tuesday. Got to spend some time holding him that day, just being in his presence. But also excited just to talk to the people who were caring for him and kind of get their assessment of where things were and what was going on. I went home Tuesday night, got up on Wednesday morning with the intent that we were going to drive back over there later in the day uh, with other family members. 
the reason we had to go home was because I had to obviously take care of some arrangements with funeral home. Uh, I had to have surgery on a broken bone uh, after the accident, so we had to get that stuff scheduled. But before we could get in the vehicles and make our way over to Savannah, I got a phone call that afternoon from an employee at the hospital saying, we need you to come back to the hospital. And I said, well, we're coming later today, but if we need to come sooner, obviously we can do that. Can you give me any information about what's going on? And she said, no, I can't. And I said, you can't tell me anything at all? She said, no, Mr. Barron, um, we just HIPAA regulations prohibit it, which is a stupid comment because I'm the parent. I'm the person who's supposed to know these things. So I just told her, I said, listen, I said, I I just need to know something because we're two and a half hours away by car. I can't just drop what I'm doing and be there in 10 minutes. So I need to know what's going on. Well, she hung up on me that day. Wow. So I called back to the hospital and I asked the lady, I said, can you tell me what's going on? I just got this strange phone call and the lady very kindly just said, look, whatever you're doing, you'll need to get here. We need to have a face-to-face conversation. So please get some family members and come as, as quickly as you can. So we did, and to take a long short story and make it much, much shorter, um, walked in that day and was told that they had accidentally killed my son with a medication overdose, had given him five times the strength of what was needed for him. And the medication that might have possibly kept him alive at that point actually stopped his heart immediately because it was too strong. Oh, wow. So this is, I mean, so much where you're already in that place of God, where are you? I need you. And then you think it can't get any worse. And then this happens where, like, where did you go? How did you experience that? What, what version of yourself emerged then and there? Well, it's kind of interesting because I was still pastoring this church. I tell people in that season, I felt very much like a hypocrite because I would still go on Sunday morning and trying to preach sermons for these people. I knew that was my job. I have a sense, like a real deep sense of loyalty and responsibility, so I will go and do the thing that I need to do. But I would come back, and at night, uh, doctors required me to sleep in a recliner for the next eight months because I could not get my shoulder to heal from the accident. So I would sit in that recliner every single night, Sunday afternoon through Sunday morning, and just question everything that I'd ever been taught. The right and wrong of it, you know, God, are you really there? And if you are, why were you not there that day? Uh, you know the verses we're all familiar with, like God won't let the, his, you know, his children stumble. They, you know, nothing will touch them. And I'm like, okay, am I not your child? What, you know, were you asleep when I needed you? And I, I questioned everything. And I would love to say that, you know, at some point there was this bright light that shone over me, and you know, angels sang, <laughs> things change. But it was a long journey of getting back to what I believe was foundational. You know, you and I talked a little bit before we started the podcast about this reality. There comes a point where I think the greatest growth we can have in our Christian faith is when we have the honest conversations with God. I mean, He already knows our heart anyway. And so I started having those honest conversations with God. And in July, three months after the accident, I remember in the middle of the night, I was wide awake, staring out on the field behind my house, beautiful moonlit night. And I had probably been crying for a few hours at this point, just questioning again everything, even little things like, how in the world am I going to take my take care of my little girl. I'm a single dad. I don't know anything about taking care of this girl like she deserves. But in that moment, I just finally said to God, I said, you know what? I don't like this. I don't understand it. I believe there had to be some other way for this all to happen, but I still believe you're God and nothing about you has changed. So I said, if you will give me the strength to do what it's going to take, I'm going to find some way to bring something good out of all of this. Again, that was not the end of the journey. In fact, I would say it was probably the beginning of the real journey. Because it was the night that I was really, truly, brutally honest with him. Yeah. What do you think it was that flipped in you from being immersed in your grief to knowing that there was something 
that you could create on the other side of it? I wish I could take credit for it, but I started off this story by telling you I grew up in a Christian home surrounded by great Christian people, and between them and a church that loved on me, it was them. Yeah. I mean, I I had an older sister who one time looked me in the face one day, and she said, you do not have permission to quit. God has you alive for a reason. It's your job to figure out now what that reason is. Yeah. And because your life had been so like kind of buttoned up or with a mm-hmm. bow on top before this, this resilience factor that had to come for you in, I'm sure in the form of things like depression and anxiety oh, yeah. and, you know, questioning, you know, hopelessness and all of those things. So did you feel like a different person? Did you feel like you were no longer the same version of yourself? And oh, do you absolutely. feel like you've, you've come back to him or he's, or you've recreated? Like, what would you say about the identity piece of you mm-hmm. with Christ, independent of Christ, all the things, obviously it's hard to separate the two, but just like the humaning side of you mm-hmm. and then the Christ centered side of That's you. That's a great question. I've never really been asked that, but I mean, it's easy for me to look back and say this, definitely not the person that I was. And I don't want to be that person. God tore me down in a way that he probably couldn't any other way. Who knows, maybe somewhere along the way he had tried using other means and I was just too hard-hearted to get it. But he tore me down and using people around me and, of course, obviously his word and his spirit, he built me back up into a better man. And as if I had to put it into any kind of image, it would be the difference between a, a dad sitting on the couch with his son at the end of the couch and saying, hey, we're sitting on the same chair versus pulling him in close and saying, now we're really sitting on the same chair. Uh, you know, he, he pulled me in and, I, you know, I'm, I'm not there, yeah. you know, <laughs> sanctification is a lifelong process, but that jump started my growth as a Christian in ways that nothing else ever had. What do you think the, in terms of, you know, pouring into other people and, and the, the church that you were the leader of, do you think that ended up being part of your healing? Is that part of what, did you throw yourself into it? And I know I'm sure the human part of you felt a little bit burdened. Like, how am I supposed to, you said hypocrite, like, how am I supposed to show up and, and talk about the, the glory of God when I'm sitting here in, in the muck, in the mess? Right. So what was that process like for you as a leader and how did your thought process change and how you wanted to, to shepherd your church? Well, it was a very up and down process because as I was shortening the story for you, the day before the accident happened, we actually received a call from our former church here in Nashville inviting us to move back to Franklin and start a church for them. So my wife and I had immediately agreed. We loved Middle Tennessee. We wanted to come back. We were excited about that. And so when the accident happened, pastor of that church, who's a dear friend of mine, called me and said, look, we'll delay this decision, you know, as long as you need to. In fact, if you don't want to do it, we understand. And I prayed for a couple of weeks and I called him up and I said, look, Jerry, I said, I I really very much appreciate your patience with this, but here's the deal. God knew this was going to happen when he gave me the yes two weeks ago. So we're going to go ahead and make the move. We're going to follow through. You're just going to have to be patient with me as Mm -hmm. I try to figure out what this looks like being a single dad, going through my own grief and trying to plant a church. Uh, and of course, they were very, very, very cooperative. In fact, many of the people who were part of that church plant were longtime friends from years before who surrounded me, loved me, encouraged me. But I have to go back to the church that I was pastoring at the time because in the four months that I lived there before I did relocate back to Middle Tennessee, they literally cooked every single meal that my family ate. There was not a day that I didn't have a contact from one of them or a note from one of them. And and even times where I knew in the middle of the night when I was feeling like really 
stinky, they, they were praying for me. It's an interesting type of leadership because you're still a leader, but you're now learning how to receive mm-hmm. on a whole new level, which yep. is, a, it's a switch shifter, you know, it's a, it's an identity shift in itself. Well, you talked about this earlier, many times today, even there are conversations where in the past where I would go, Hey, I'm a pastor and people would instantly shut me down and go, you're a pastor. You can't understand where I am. You don't know me. You don't know my past. And when I say 19 years ago, I lost my wife and my son. It's like, I'm a different person almost, but in a good way, suddenly walls drop down and they're going, okay, maybe it's possible. He does understand the pain that I'm feeling or the grief that I'm going through. And you know, you go back and look at the characters in the Bible, and I think that's exactly what happened with them. I mean, you got Joseph who was thrown into prison. You got, you know, David who had to hide in caves from King Saul. You've got all these people who experienced grief and pain, and it wasn't until they experienced it that they were ready to be what God wanted them to be. Absolutely. favorite non-biblical quotes is the depths of your darkness is the height of your light and it's like you you have to I mean, not that you have to but I believe you have to kind of know the depths of darkness to really understand and appreciate and see the good when it comes and even to go manufacture it like be a participant in actively turning things around like not looking back at your situation mm-hmm. and being like oh I'm so glad that happened you're not right. like no. painting delusional optimism yes. on top of the, the situation but looking at it and saying okay this happened and this is the worst of the worst and it's mm-hmm. awful but now who do I mean obviously give yourself that space to grieve but who do I want to become in the face of this and I think that's where I really wanted people to hear your testimony so before we get into that talk to us a little bit about the the steps of finding I hate to use the word new normal but you're now a mm-hmm. dad of how old was your daughter at the time she was six years old six years old. so it's just the two of you guys no, after the I accident? Had a, another son who okay. was nine years old at the and time was he accident. in the car yes they okay. were all in the car and so everybody but so the daughter, your daughter and son survived. Mm-hmm. So not just being a single dad, but d- them dealing with the loss of their mother and their brother and all the things that you were dealing with in an adult brain. But now, you know, their childlike faith was, was shifted forever. So what was it like picking up the pieces, putting them back together, recreating this new puzzle, but then also, you know, shepherding these two children? I have to be honest with you. If I were to write the book on how to do this, I would tell you not to read it. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I yeah. stumbled my way through it. Uh, again, incredible family that surrounded me. I have two older sisters. One of them, her husband and their four boys literally picked up and moved back to Middle Tennessee when I moved here to be near me to help me with my kids. Wow. I have a huge family on my mother's side. Cousins that would call me and email me and just simply say, hey, I'm praying for you. They were kind of my lifeline in a lot of those situations. I had members of my new church who would say, hey, do you need me to come by and fix your daughter's hair before church this morning? Or, or do you just need me to go take her shopping for school? And those were, those were the kind of people who helped carry me in moments when I really didn't know if I even had the energy to pick yeah. up my foot, you know? Yeah. And what were your conversations with God like during that time? When did you feel like you were... I mean, I don't want to say done being mad at him. I'm sure it was a an ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. But like, what were your prayers like? What were your conversations with God? And how did so, those manifest? Let me be clear to tell you, I don't know that I'm not still mad at God. Yeah. And I think enough. he's okay with that. Yeah. You know? He's here for it. Right. He's here to meet you in right. that. Because I think if it were up to God completely and he didn't have to deal with my stubborn heart, he would have not wanted to have put me through this. But I think it, and I'll probably mess up this quote, but I think it was A.W. Tozer who said it's, 
it's highly likely that God cannot deal with a man completely until he has hurt him deeply. Mm. That was me. I, I needed to be hurt deeply so he could get my attention. Would I love to have my wife and son back? Yeah, absolutely. Even to this day, I, I miss my son. I miss getting to see all the experiences that he would have gone through. I hurt for my children that my daughter graduated kindergarten without her mom around, that she got married without her mom around, that my son, even to this day, quite frankly, probably still deals with anger issues because of what happened. Uh, and he's 28 years old now. So there's all these things that were going on and you know, if I got it right, I have to be honest and tell you, it's probably by mistake. <laughs> but we, we did counseling with the kids. I did counseling. We tried to get both of them, uh, I did, tried to get them back to normal as quickly as possible. Like like a week and a half after the accident, I was back coaching his baseball team, getting in back in school. We were determined that we weren't going to let this stop us from living life whatever that life might look like. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's so many lessons within that. Like first and foremost, the God that I know, he will meet you in all of it. Like mm -hmm. whether you are mad, sad, confused, whether it's rational or not, like he is there to hold space and support you and love you and meet you there. I'm a big believer that perfectionism is actually like the root of all evil. You know what I mean? It, <laughs> it causes us to feel inadequate mm -hmm. and unworthy and all of that. But I love the acceptance of the lack of perfection. You're like, you know what? It was a book that I wouldn't recommend reading and and you had to make your way through it because you were finding your way it was this puzzle piece where right. it's like felt like pieces were missing yep. and you know I love the humanness of it because it shows like we don't have to have it all together and the feelings that we're feeling they might not necessarily all go away but again that is what brought you from having God so far away from you on that couch to now you're snuggled up under his arm and you're in in communion with him you know so share with us a little bit you know obviously time went on and you know the pain didn't go away but the life kept going and you shifted and again you said in that moment that that the day that you were out when the beautiful moon was you know shining on your on your backyard that there was going to be some purpose in this yes. so can talk to us a little bit about because i know when we're in the depths of our darkness it's hard to think about like you know, what is going to come out of this? Who am I going to be? Because we're in, sometimes we're in a relationship with our, with our fears and our thoughts and our doubts. So for anybody who's there, like share what's, what's on the other side of this. So in the aftermath of the accident, um, one of the things I determined to do was to get my brother-in-law actually is an attorney. So he represented me after all of this, but I asked him, I said, I want you to communicate to the hospital that I forgive the pharmacist for what she did. Wow. Uh, I don't, don't wow. want her to spend the rest of her life worrying about what I think about her because as far as I know, she was the one who kept him alive those first four days, you know? So even though we communicated that from the very beginning and even told the hospital that I was not planning on suing them, I just didn't want to do that, didn't want to drag my kids through court cases and things like that. We just wanted to move on with life. There were still these conversations that you have to have, paperwork that you have to sign, all this kind of stuff. And so we're going through those conversations one day here in Nashville and we, we resolved all of the, the things that had to be worked out. And when it was over with, the vice president of risk management for the hospital, who was a fellow believer, looked at me and he said, is there any chance at all you'd be willing to come back to our hospital and speak to our staff about what it's like to be touched by one of our mistakes? Wow. And uh, I remember laughing and saying to him, you think this is your idea? I said, but I negotiated this deal with God in my recliner back in July. Oh my God. And so in December, eight months after the accident, I went back into the hospital where my son was killed, spoke to about 
four or 500 people in a conference that they were having there on the campus and honestly got through and thought, okay, I'm done. This is it. This is what God wanted to happen. This is where we bring good from the bad. And as I got ready to leave, just overwhelmed by the people coming up, just saying, thank you so much. We appreciate you being, you know, so you know, raw and transparent with us. And I'm thinking, man, this is it. This is, this is God getting glory out of, out of bad stuff. So I went home two weeks later, he calls me back, this vice president. And he said, we had such a great response. I, I didn't know if you might be willing to do it again. And I thought he was talking about go back to Savannah and speak to that hospital again. So I said, sure, I could do that. He said, great, I've got you booked for the National Association of Children's Hospitals in Boston in January. And I was like, I can't do that. Wow. He said, well, why not? I said, Wayne, I said, I'm not in healthcare. I don't know the lingo. I'm not an expert on, you know, healthcare management or any of those things. I don't know that that's what you want. He said, you're exactly what I want because it's not often we have somebody who's on the other side of the bed from us who experiences pain because of our mistakes. And I think you could be the guy that helps us be better. And so that first year, I probably spoke about five to seven times at different conferences. And every time I would come home, the same thought, okay, God, way to go. You did your part. We brought good out of it. And the phone would ring again. To the point where I was I was back here in Franklin and I was pastoring that church I had started. I got remarried three and a half years after the accident. My wife and I served at that church for a total of seven years, three and a half with her as my wife. And about the seven-year mark, she said to me one day, she said, this is getting way too big. You can't possibly serve your church and do this well at the same time. You've got to make a decision. And so she and I agreed to pray, and after a lot of prayer, I stepped away from my church to do this for a season full-time, and uh, to the point where one one year I spoke 88 times, and it was everywhere. I literally have been in 48 of the states. I've been to Canada. I've been to Mexico, hundreds of hospitals all over the place. I've been to military bases to speak to troops that are coming home from war for PTSD. I've spoken to corporations, banks that wanted just somebody to talk about their story, just all kinds of settings. And every time I kind of laugh and go, okay, God, only you could take a kid from South Georgia and put him in a secular site with the attitude that, hey, you're going to have a platform to talk about Jesus. And that's, that's what it's been. It's been an amazing journey. Wow. So, okay. I'm so curious. You said you negotiated that deal on a recliner. What, what was your negotiation talks like with God? How did that play out for you? It just goes back to that point where I just said, you know what? I, I mean, I've heard all the sweet verses and I've claimed them and I've had them as posters on my wall, but that verse Romans 8, 28, you can do, you know, you bring good out of all things, all things for those who love the Lord. And uh, doesn't say all things will be good. Right. It just says you bring good out of those things. And so I just said, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you every bit of it. Uh, I don't know how to put a ponytail on my daughter's hair. You're going to get glory from this. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, wow. So. Yeah. And we don't often think about like you hear about the mistakes at hospitals. And in mm-hmm. this t- case, it was a life, a life changing, you know, mistake. But there's humans behind that that live with that shame oh, and that yeah. burden. Absolutely. And the fact of having somebody like you being like, no, I'm not pressing charges. I forgive you. Mm-hmm. And you actually I thank you for keeping him alive as long yes. as you did. Like that is a different kind of human that a lot of people that don't have, you know, the, the joy of the Lord in their heart might not get to to experience and to witness somebody showing up like that to me it would make me ask questions like what does that man know that i don't know i could sit here i don't know how long you got for a podcast but i could sit here and tell you hundreds of stories where it was obvious 
my reason for being where I was wasn't to talk about healthcare management or healthcare performance or safe hospitals. It was to help somebody heal from what they had been through. I spoke to pharmacists in the state of Texas one time, a large pharmacist convention, and after it was over with, this guy probably in his early 70s came up to me in tears. And uh, he pulled me over in the corner and I said, what's going on? He said, 40 years ago, I committed a mistake like what you talked about and no one's ever told me I was forgiven. And he said, been living with that guilt for 40 plus years. And uh, he said, today I felt like I heard you saying to me I was forgiven. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And there's countless stories like that where people are walking around with toxic shame of, of in punishing themselves over mm-hmm. and over again. Absolutely. So being in such secular environments, and I love the boldness in your faith. You know, I think that is, um, you know, especially this, this podcast, there's a lot of people listening that might be skeptical or cynical or have yeah, their own stories, you know, and I, the you know, the fact that you are a picture of what, you know, inviting God into our stories can, can allow us to open up. Mm -hmm. So for anybody that's listening, that feels like they have maybe, you know, their past is following them around or like how do I make good out of my past or what, how do I find the good Mm -hmm. in what happened? Like, what would you say to somebody who's still in it? Well, I would encourage you, first of all, as I said, I came from a strong Christian background. I had all those people around me. So I was grounded in something that held hope for me. And I could keep coming back to that. There may be somebody who's listening today who isn't fortunate enough to have that background. I would encourage you not to give up. Uh, I just had a friend tell me this a minute ago. He said, as long as you're still fighting, you're still winning. And so don't give up that, that search for where hope and meaning is. It's in this God that we're talking about, he has it all right there in his hand. I don't care how broken you are, how ugly you are, how nasty you are, your past, maybe whatever you think it is. But if you put it at the feet of God, you will find that he can bring purpose from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Did this give you a whole new way to connect with the people in your congregation? Just a whole new oh, yeah. level of humility. And have you found that people are responding differently to you in a more kind oh, yeah. of like on uh-huh. off the record kind Absolutely. of way? Yeah, yeah it's pretty cool um, because uh, there was a young lady in our church in Southeast Georgia who my wife had been witnessing to for a while. I had invited her to Bible studies and stuff like that, and she was still very resistant. And the week after she died, she accepted Christ. Wow. Again, once again, it was just a little tidbit, but it was kind of like God saying, okay, watch. Watch what I'm about to do because this will not be the first, I mean the last. This will not be the end of this, but I'm going to use your wife's story. I'm going to use your son's story. I'm going to use your story. We're going to find ways for me to get glory out of all this. You know, at the end of the day, that's the thing that has stood out in this more to any more than anything of the part of the story is the reality that God did not create us for our comfort and convenience. That's not what this life is about. It's about his glory. And so we find much more meaning when we go, okay, God, here's all the junk. Here's all the pieces. Here's all the ashes. Now let's see what beauty you can bring from it. Yeah. And it's not like you went out seeking these opportunities to speak. It showed up for you and then you pursued it. So was that a big part of your healing journey? Just be seeing what mm-hmm. God was doing in the in the audience and that man who pulled you aside, like that. It was had so been therapeutic. So yes, yeah. it was very much so. And you're right, we didn't. I, uh, early on, I was asked by people, "Do you want us to promote you? Do you want to get an agent?" I was like, "No, no, no." 
first of all, because I was working with healthcare, it was my belief that until they were ready to ask for me to come, they weren't ready to hear the message anyway. So I wasn't going to try to force my way in any doors or anything like that. We just let it be organic and, and it worked out very well. But secondly, again, just this whole idea that there were people that I didn't know were going to be in the audience that would hear things in my story. And I would go, how did you even get that out of my story? So it's like almost like sometimes you're speaking a different language and right. God interprets it for you. Absolutely. You know? I spoke at Arizona one time, three different times in one day, and they were doing uh, a video of it. They had their audiovisual department come in and record it for employees who couldn't make the three sessions. And after the second or third session that day, I can't remember which, I think it was the third session, I was standing there talking to people afterwards, uh, as I always do, and the guy who was responsible for recording that day came over to stand next to me, and I thought, oh, he's waiting to get the lapel mic from the recording. So after I finished talking to the last person, I took the lapel mic off, started wrapping it up, started walking towards him, and as I got closer, I realized he was crying. And I said to him, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? And he said, I wasn't even supposed to be here today. And I always laugh when people say that, and I'll go, yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't know. <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah. Uh-huh. But he said, I wasn't supposed to be here today. My partner who works in the AV department was supposed to be, but he called me early this morning and said, can you take this for me? I'm, I've got a sick child or something. He said, I had left the house this morning and left a suicide note on the table for my wife and daughters. And the only reason I agreed to take the job was so that I could leave them a little bit more money before I go. He said, can I talk to you about why you have hope? Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was an amazing wow. night. And um, we, we prayed together that night. And he didn't receive Christ that night or have that moment of salvation. But I but fortunately had an old seminary friend who lived in town. And I called her on the way home and said, here's the guy's name. He's going to be reaching out to you. Can you get him plugged into your church? And so last I heard, he was attending church with his family. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So like the cool. whole family receive, like gets him back. You know, yeah. like, because even when you think about when somebody's at that moment before they decide to take their life, like they're not showing up in their life before that either. Mm -hmm. Like you've lost, you've lost yourself and to be found again, just because you planted Mm -hmm. a seed of hope Mm -hmm. and then the trajectory that takes place. And then you connected him with your friend and now their family goes to church. Like these are the things that can happen. So when you were having those questions, the day of the accident, like, God, where are you? I'm mad at you. Mm -hmm. And you could go back and talk to yourself now. Like what kinds of messages would you share with the Ridley of then like what did he what did you what would you want him to know well i do and i talk about this in my book when i recounted the story in the in the middle of all that because it was a while they had to you know use the jaws of life to get me out and to get all the kids out and all that kind of stuff so there's a long conversation going on as i waited for god in that car but there was a point in the middle of all that screaming at god that i probably one of the most real feelings of God's presence that he actually came into that van with me through his Holy Spirit and said to me, your wife is not going to make it, but you will. Wow. Because I'm going to be with you through this whole thing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What do you even do with that? I didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. It. yeah. It was, it was hard. I mean, even to this day, it makes me emotional. Here's, here's the most incredible, awesome, powerful God, this God of the universe. And he's, at my car accident. <laughs> He's there with me. He's watching me. I even dare say he was weeping with me in that moment because he knew what I was feeling. And and it happened so many different times again during those months afterwards where there would be a moment where something would happen. And, and you've heard the stories before where uh, survivor guilt 
would yeah. come over me and I'd ask the question, what if I had been driving that day instead of her? Or what if we had taken a different road? The moments where a song comes on the radio and it makes you think about what you've been through. The first Christmas we had after that, my son lost it that day. Just went berserk. It was really out of character for him. So I just walked into the bedroom and laid on the bed with him and said, what's going on? Started bawling. He said, Daddy, I miss my mom. Nothing you can do to prepare yourself for those moments. So even in that moment, you're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, God, if you're not with me right now, I'm never going to make it. You know, and praise God, he has been. He's, he's, he's more than restored. There's a passage in the book of Joel that says he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And um, that's kind of been one of the verses I've held on to. And he has more than restored. I got remarried, like I said, uh, incredibly beautiful, godly woman. Two beautiful daughters in the process. Uh, now I have five grandkids. Um, he continues to bless. I'm in an incredibly sweet place. And I think God continues 19 years later to use the story to draw himself glory. Wow. Gosh, he really has just restored. I mean, that is such a beautiful passage. And you think about, you know, the version of you that was like, where is God? And what I just heard is you now see like he was everywhere. Everywhere. And you, you like you couldn't have gone through it without him. And he was there even when yeah. you couldn't even see it in the moments, but you also knew. And so I know that you said that the speaking full time was, it was a chapter, but now you're obviously this, this is your church. You're back at it. So talk to us a little bit about how you knew it was time to, you know, there was obviously Mm. this purpose driven part of you now with absolute new, new meaning, new fire lit under you. How does that manifest now? And so first seven years, I pastored that church plant, stepped aside at the end of the seventh year and went through seven years of just full-time speaking on the road with this. And around year six, I uh, came down off of uh, the stage in an event in Florida and walked over and sat down next to my wife, Lisa. She would go on most of these trips with me just because she knew what it was like, ripping the Band-Aid off every time you tell the story. And I looked at her, and I sat down, and I said, I think I'm done. And she said, well, you're not supposed to speak the rest of the day. I said, no, I mean with this. And she said, so you're not ever going to do it again? I said, no. I said, I think God will always give me opportunity to use this story. I said, but there's a bigger story I want to tell. I said, I just miss being a pastor. So she said, well, let's pray about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this gets me emotional again, too, just because it's God's so incredibly awesome when you give him a chance to be this way and you keep your eyes open. So I, I said that to her. We flew back home. Two weeks later, the pastor of the church where I had been attending comes up to me and he goes, you were a church planner, right? I was like, yeah. He said, you ever thought about doing it again? I said, Yes. He said, would you work with us to start a church? And I was like, okay, here we go, God. Yes. So we started this church in Chapel Hill five years ago, and it's been an amazing journey. And I guess because of what I've been through, now I, every time something happens, I'm going, that's God. Yeah, <laughs> I see God. you, God. I yep, see you. You've got your hand in your this. Your fingerprints are all yeah. over this. So. so if you were to put in your own words about this, you know, you said, quote unquote, the bigger story you want to tell, obviously it's, it's, you know, yes. the book, the, the, the story, yes. but what would you say is your, your, your words around this bigger story that you want to share? Oh gosh. Um, don't think that you're the only person who goes through grief. I mean, everybody who has touched this earth, walked this earth for any day has experienced pain from, you know, friends who betrayed you or loss or discouragement or frustration. The difference between who you are 
today versus who you're going to be tomorrow is going to be determined by how you respond to those things. And so to me, one of the beautiful images of the gospel is that we don't have to run from God with all our ugliness. We get to take it to him and lay it at his feet and say, okay, God, what are you going to do with this? So I get asked all the time, what was your, you know, what was the verse that brought you most hope during that season? And I jokingly tell people it was Genesis to maps because I was literally reading the whole Bible yeah, all the time going, right. okay, God, show me something. Yeah. But I got to the very familiar story in John where Jesus is feeding the 5,000. Um, most of us have heard that story and I've read it a dozen times, probably maybe even more than that, uh, taught it at vacation Bible schools, read about it in seminary, but I was reading it one night in that eight month period. And I can't remember when it was, but you get to the end of the story. And if you remember, it says that Jesus told the disciples to go back out with the baskets and he says, pick up all the pieces. Do not let anything be wasted. And, you know, you said something so profound too that I think uh, I, I really want people to get is that when you're in that brokenness or you're in that messiness or you're in the place where you don't know what to do, that's when God wants you to come to him. Exactly. And so exactly. many people, they run away, they hide, they think like, no, I'm too messy right now. I don't want anybody to see me like this or God would be mad at me or ashamed of me and all those things. And it's like, no, the, the God that I know would want you with open arms to come to him with all of those pieces because nothing's wasted. And that's what the enemy wants to convince us to do he, he wants us to take that and hide it away and think somehow if we hide it and don't come out with it that somehow it'll, it'll heal itself or at least we'll be protected from the shame and guilt and the absolute opposite is true if I could say anything that you hear today as part of this podcast if you have brokenness hurt pain discouragement sin shame guilt whatever it is in your life don't walk run to Jesus yes amen yeah and I'll, I'll tell you it's like in my darkest hours that God was the place that I knew I had to run and I, it was the opposite of how I used to be I used to be and that's why I'm, I'm highlighting this because I can see both sides I used to run from my spirit and hide and that's mm -hmm. where we numb out and we distract and we we procrastinate and we shove it down yeah. and it's like no run don't walk run to the feet of your father because yes. he it, it's in a lot of times it is i'm actually going to say the majority of times it is a spiritual need that needs to be filled it's not logical it's not logistical mm -hmm. it is a spiritual soul driven need that needs to be filled and you're not going to get it from anything else and right now, if you're listening, there's a good chance that probably Satan is trying to convince you this is all a joke or that this is, no, this only happens to those kinds of people, not to me. But it's really not that far different from a good father and what he does to his children. Because when I was raising my four kids, five kids, if you count my son who passed away after the accident, when I raised my kids, I always told them, if you do something wrong, don't run from me, come to me. I can help you fix it. Yes. I can help you put it back together. I can take what's broken and mend it. What what I can't do is fix the things you hide from me. And if I can do that as a, a fallen, broken, sinful dad, I mean, how much more can a holy, good father yes, do for you? Absolutely. When we can, when we what we conceal, we can't heal. Mm -hmm. We've got to that's reveal exactly it right. to heal it. Yeah. And that's such a good picture of like, yeah, bring it to me. Let me help you figure yes. out what's next rather yes. than thinking we have to do mm -hmm. it on our own and it becomes mm -hmm. a burden. It becomes shameful. Mm -hmm. So oh, such a, such a beautiful point. Well, first of all, thank you so much for oh, sharing your you. story. I and I can I can just feel feel the conviction in you. And I'm sure it feels different every time you tell it, mm -hmm. you know, because little I'm sure new little pieces of revelation come for you every single time, you know. Absolutely. It's Sometimes been, it's like an outer body experience that you're yeah. telling somebody else's story. Because again, there is absolutely no way I'm sitting here today without God 
yeah. carry me through this. Absolutely. I completely feel that. And, and it takes a lot of courage to, to, like you said, open that, that wound or rip off that bandaid time after time. But you now know the greater purpose for you and to, to help people walk alongside their own, whatever it is, the, the horrific stuff. And even the things that we mitigate or minimize our pain. And we think mm-hmm. like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Other yeah. people have it worse. It's like, no, pain is pain. And God wants us in those moments too. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, um, well, we have a little thing that yes. we do. You get to choose, and you can also choose both if you want. But um, the first one is you get to pick either a spiritual soundtrack Mm -hmm. or a spiritual bookshelf. So for spiritual soundtrack, um, we'll have you share a song or a piece of music um, that has a special significance to you. Maybe it has you know meaning to you and your faith journey. Mm -hmm. Um, Or spiritual bookshelf would be a book or scripture or spiritual text that has really you know helped you on your journey, made a profound impact. And you can also do both. Let's be honest. Okay. I'm going to do both because I'm a pastor and we never run out of words, right? Okay, beautiful. Spiritual bookshelf. I'll go with that one first. I actually had just finished reading Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life oh, Okay, yeah. Uh, right before the accident happened. Wow. And in those eight months, there were parts of it that kept coming back to me. And one of them is a quote that I've already shared with you, and that is that God did not create us for this life for comfort and convenience, but for His glory. Yeah. You know, so it's not about that for us. And so that helped me beginning to understand, okay, the 70 plus, 80 plus years I'm blessed with here on this planet, they're going to be a whole lot more well spent when they're spent for him for his glory rather than me trying to build my own kingdom because that's not going to work. Absolutely. You yeah. Know? And talk about putting purpose behind all the pain yeah, as well. Absolutely. For you, absolutely. You know? So that, that was a powerful, powerful thing for me on the soundtrack. I will tell you two songs, one from the beginning and one from now. In the very beginning, my wife and I, uh, Sarah, who was my, my first wife, she and I had been to several conferences prior to this. Uh, there was a worship song at the time that was very, very new, very, very popular called Sing to the King. And it says, Sing to the King who is coming to reign. You know, And it talks about this whole idea that someday we'll stand with him. And so as I, I went to memorial wife, uh, services for my wife, that song kept resounding in my head. Someday I'll see her again. Wow. It's powerful. Yep. So, uh, and right now, there's one that's just rocking my world. Charity Gale sings a song, Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood. And man, I get up every single day and I have to look at this ugly mug in the face in the mirror. <laughs> and I look at myself and I go, I know who I am. I know at the core what I am. I know what I'm not capable of. And I also know what I am capable of. And without the blood of Jesus, none of this would be worthwhile. Wow. You know? Amazing. Yeah. Mm. Is it, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Yes. Is that That's the one? It. Okay. That's I know it. it. I know it. Yeah. That is song. a good one. That yeah. is a goodie. As a new believer, I know the songs of the last four or five years, but yes. not the ones of the last 10, 20 years. So you're rocking my world right well, now. Well, go look so. up Sing to the King. It'll oh, be yeah. Oh, it's going to be on Spotify. Okay. <laughs> on, you bet. You bet. And then our next one is going to be Failures Redeemed. And this could cross over mm-hmm. with something that you've already shared, but you know, a time when your faith was tested or you found yourself in a situation that maybe at the time felt like a failure or a setback or a regression, mm-hmm. but God used it and redeemed it and turned it into a massive blessing or lesson. Um, I'm, I'm going to say a series of things as my answer. And that is the times I really messed up the recovery after the accident with my kids. Mm. My daughter, who was nine at the time, now married, lives in uh, Northeast Florida with her husband, who is a student minister. Beautiful family they've started. No kids yet, but they do have a beautiful dog. <laughs> and, mm. um, you know, she she is an incredibly gifted, godly woman and just a beautiful thing that God's doing in her life. But I didn't do well. There were moments where I should have been a better dad for her. I should have 
maybe held her a little longer or encouraged her a little more or sat down and ignored all the phone calls and talked with her more. Same thing true with my son. My son is single, living in Nashville. If there are any godly women looking for mm-hmm. a husband, I'll We're let listening. You know. We're playing matchmaker right yeah. now. <laughs> um, but he's he's a good kid. I love him with all my heart. But he's not as connected to God. And I think that's probably in part because he never dealt with his anger. But it's also probably in part because I didn't do the right thing as a dad sometimes along the way. And, and Lisa, my wife, now tells me, you know, you were a good dad. You did the right thing. But I, I don't feel that. Uh, I feel like there were missed opportunities along the way where I could have done better. And if I had, maybe he'd be a little bit closer to Jesus in his walk today. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think also with the failures redeemed side of things, we can turn that into our prayers. Mm -hmm. You know, like that can Mm -hmm. become the prayers that we're asking God to redeem for us. And there's beauty in that. And another, it just gives us another perspective of the humanness of Mm -hmm. you're you're a pastor and you're Mm -hmm. humaning at the same time, you know, and it's a beautiful picture of that. Again, it's another connection point because people go, oh, you got it. You're a pastor you have a perfect family no I don't have a perfect family it's you know it's got its fault it's got its failures uh, I still scream at the TV when I lose a football game sure you know, yeah I, I, I'm not a perfect guy but praise God I serve a perfect savior amen amen well thank you so much for sharing your thank words you. your thank wisdom you for your sweet encouragement to this absolutely absolutely where can people find you follow you where can they google stalk you so I'm on Facebook, uh, Ridley Barron Ministries on Facebook. We have a Facebook page there, uh, Grove Hill Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee. If you want to go there, we actually also have a podcast where you can listen to sermons. Uh, you'll hear the lessons I've learned over the course of my life coming through my sermons a lot. So, you know, either one of those places, you're welcome to email us. We have, you know, of course, an email address if there's ever any questions or any way we can encourage you. And then, of course, I do have a book. It's an ebook on Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles, and then I actually have physical copies if anybody wants to email me and say I'd like a copy of it. What's the name of your book? It's called Twist of Faith. Twist of Faith. And here's the funny thing. I self-published this book. It took me seven years to write it after the accident just because it was hard to go back Mm -hmm. and relive all that. And because I... There were parts where I wanted to go back and revisit sure. with people, make sure I got the facts yeah. straight, because I obviously was in a different world at that season. But when we finally released the book, called it Twist of Faith. Next day, I looked on Amazon to see if it was there, and the lady who does Auntie Anne's pretzels has a book called Twist of Faith. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's not Auntie Anne that's yeah, writing that this book. This is the gluten-free variety. <laughs> that's exactly Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. So, well, yeah, we'll link all cool. of that in the show notes. Well, cool. Definitely That'd be awesome. I check it out. I um, want to hear you preach through your podcast as well. Yeah, I um, it. And thank you again for just sharing and giving us hope in the hopelessness because I think, again, this is a picture of what's possible. Amen. Again, it doesn't change what happened, but who we become mm-hmm. in the shape of it and rooting our identity further in the values that bring that, that bring us out to be Man. who we are designed to be is what's possible in the midst of all of that thank you again for a delightful afternoon together and for giving me the opportunity to do this yes thank you so much Mm We'll be back with more What's God Got to Do With It. But in the meantime, I would definitely love to hear from you. So just tell me where you are in your story or maybe what questions you have. Like, where do you feel you need clarity or support or wisdom in your own journey? I definitely want to hear from you. So head on over to whatsgodgottodowithit.com and scroll down to the form to share your thoughts, your questions, your feedback, and you can do that instantly. So what's God got to do with it.com. You'll find all the ways to do that. And if you like this podcast and want to hear more, go ahead and follow, like, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get your weekly dose of what's God got to do with it. 
New episodes drop every single Tuesday. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review to show your support. It really means so much. What's God Got to Do With It is an iHeartRadio podcast on the Amy Brown Podcast Network. It's written and hosted by me, Leanne Ellington. Executive produced by Elizabeth Fazio. Post-production and editing by Houston Tilly. And original music written by Cheryl Stark and produced by Adam Stark. Adam Stark.